Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's reading comes from throughout the scriptures. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You may be seated. It is so good to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to pray in just a second, but I want to add my welcome to Heath's welcome and the welcome of the rest of the team here. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team. I want to just double down for a second if I can. The work that Johan and the team do at 1018 is unbelievable. It's fantastic. And if you want to serve on Saturday mornings, joining in that work, email him today. Not like tomorrow or later this week. Email him today. Uh, we'd love to get you connected to that work. And so please uh, connect with Johan on that. Would you join me in praying as we open God's word? God, we need your help this morning. Holy Spirit, we need your help this morning. Not just to deal with the stuff that's like just immediately apparent to us, like the sin that we know about and the struggles that we're aware of, but like the stuff that's deeper than the stuff we're aware of. Uh, the stuff that's driving the stuff at the surface. Lord, we need you to come by your spirit through your word and convict us and challenge us, but not just leaving us like that, uh, actually empowering us and changing us and, and to making us more into this new creation that we already are. So we need your help. We come weary, tired. Lord, some of us frustrated. We are desperate to hear from you, Lord. Would you satisfy our thirst? We thank you, Jesus, that you do. Amen. Well, today we're continuing in our series that we're calling Counterformation. And we're looking once more at the ways we are called to push against the forming powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Powers that shape us and form us in ways that, that really, frankly, are quite surprising. And today we're looking at what it means to be a faithful people in a fickle world. 
Look at faithfulness today. The great maxim of our day is, you know it, be true to yourself. Implied in this maxim, right, shouted from poster boards at rallies to, to Pixar films, is this fundamental core idea that we belong to ourselves. That we have autonomy both in body and in our future and really ultimately with what happens in our life. It is a core value. And whether you know it or not, you ascribe to it in some shape or measure. And as such, our most pressing responsibility in this age is to ensure we are living authentic lives. Lives that are true to ourselves. And anything that might get or appears to get in the way of our authenticity must go. And so, for example, if our place of work doesn't quite feel like the, the truest expression of ourselves, we quietly quit. We spend company work hours on side projects that are truer to us, more accurately represent us. If our friends and our family cannot be utilized as cogs in our quest for self-actualization, well, we'll find friends who can, right? Friends on the internet, at least, who agree with us. Friends who, by association, make us look good until, of course, they don't, and then we'll get new friends. And to the surprise of no one here this morning who's been part of a church for more than 20 seconds, this same spirit very much lives here. It's very much found here. We bring this fundamental belief that we belong to ourselves to the church and the relationships therein. And having begun with the presupposition that the church is just another arena, avenue for self-actualization and self-discovery, things quickly go south, don't they? In a great little book called uh, You're Not Your Own, author Alan Noble, he writes this. See if you can relate. He says, the great danger in allowing a community to aid you in discovering meaning is that at some point, the community is going to overstep its bounds and try to enforce meaning. Perhaps you attend a church because, in quotes, it feels like home. You appreciate that the church community shares many of your own political attitudes, right? You like the songs on Sunday. But then one Sunday morning, the pastor denounces as sin some behavior you hold quite dear. You are likely to feel betrayed by the community and leave to find one that actually, again, feels like home. So driven by this deep-seated allegiance to ourselves and ourselves alone, the result is a resounding fickleness among the people of God. Now, if you haven't picked up on it already, it's kind of a heavier sermon this morning. And so I found this meme, and I just want to show it to you, because it's funny. I thought it's funny. Maybe you don't think it's funny. <laughs> it's not related at all to the sermon. It's literally because it's a heavy sermon this morning, and I just wanted to show you a meme. We, 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 we can take it down. <laughs> to be clear, this fickleness includes both the pastor and the people, both the leaders and the laity, all of us. It is a cancer that runs from head to toe. 
And it's my contention this morning that when God's people are fickle as the world is fickle, we not only lose our mission and our witness to a watching world, but we actually fail to understand who God is in his very nature, who our Lord is in his very character. And so two really simple points this morning, okay? If you're taking notes, the first one's this, the faithful love of God, and then secondly, the faithful love of God's people. And so if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to Exodus 34. We're going to read one verse in Exodus 34. Keep your finger there because we're actually going to go back to Genesis in just a second, okay? But Exodus 34 will be where we'll start this morning. First, the faithful love of God. Before we read Exodus, we have to understand something fundamental about our human identity, who we are as people. And to do this, we go back to Genesis. And in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and the very first page of the Bible, we see that God, creator of everything, and we sang about that this morning, has created men and women and given them a mandate, a mission, a thing to do. And so in verse 26 to 28 of chapter 1, we read this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We'll stop there. Humanity, and we heard this from Johan this morning, didn't we? Made male and female. Created in the image of God. And while the, the implications of this simple phrase being made in the image of God are innumerable, vast, right? The chief application here in Genesis 1 about being made in the image of God is connected with the task that is immediately given to humanity. Did you see it? In verse 26, it says, And let them have dominion. In verse 28, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And so let me just summarize this very quickly for you. Humanity is made to be these living and moving and subduing and creating and cultivating creatures who mystery of mystery are God's representatives his vice regents, that's the language, here on earth. Little outposts of God wherever we go. We are to reflect in our actions the very character of God. This is hardwired into us. It's our very purpose. Which means whenever the Bible speaks about God's character, we should sit up and pay attention. We should... Look closely. When God describes his character in the Bible, it is both inspirational, wow, God is like that, but also aspirational. And I should be like that too. Do you see that? So with that in mind, with that under our belts, we come to Exodus 30, uh, 34, verse 6. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, we've seen this actually over the past couple of weeks, we find God disclosing himself and his character clearly and succinctly to, to Moses and to Israel and to us. Let's look at one verse. 
Exodus 34 verse, 1, 6, uh, 34, verse 6 says this. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and let's zero in on this last phrase, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's zero in even more. Look at that one term, steadfast love. Steadfast love. Do you see it up there? In the Hebrew, the word we find here is this word hesed. Hesed. Whereas love for us, for me and for you, is usually used in reference to some sort of fleeting feeling, right? I love pizza and I love my wife. Hesed in Hebrew is the idea of loving commitment to another person for their good. It's loving commitment to another person for their flourishing in thick and in thin. Loyalty is a good concrete translation of this verse. In fact, your Bible might read something like loyal love instead of steadfast love. Yahweh, we're told in Exodus, does not merely possess like a meager or like a satisfactory amount of loyal love. It says that he is abounding, overflowing radiating, loyal love. That's who he is. And the strange thing about this word, however, is that as you trace it through the Old Testament, it's used throughout the Old Testament, you find that God's has said, God's steadfast love often rests on unlikely and undeserving people. So for instance, in Genesis 19, the first instance of Hesed is found. In Genesis 19, we find God judging the city of Sodom for all of its depravity, all of its wickedness. And so God in his mercy sends his messengers to go and take Lot, his servant, out of Sodom. But it says in Genesis 19 verse 16 that Lot lingered in Sodom. Lot, Lot kind of loved the sin. He kind of loved that stuff. Just like we do. And it's not until Genesis 19, 19 that these messengers take Lot by force. They literally seize him and take him out of that city soon to be destroyed that Lot actually leaves. Later, we're told, this act of seizing Lot against his will to save him from destruction is an act of hased. It's the first instance of hased in the Bible. We can skip ahead to the book of Numbers. The people of God like Lot, have been saved from Egyptian oppression, saved from slavery. They've gone into the wilderness, but they've now found that this land that they're supposed to inhabit is in fact, to their minds and to their eyes, unconquerable. They can't do it. And so they begin to form a mutiny against Moses, against their leadership. And it says in Numbers 14, verse 12, that God was prepared to disinherit Israel, and rightfully so. But Moses intercedes, and listen to what Moses appeals to. He says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to what? Just cause? Come on, God, just do it. No, what does he say? According to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. That same love that saved us, show it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. And so in a world of meritocracy, 
I don't want us to miss this. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see God show steadfast love to Israel, to these children of Abraham, not only despite themselves, but also against their foolish will. And you know what? In over 250 occurrences in the Old Testament, Hased is repeatedly found in the context of God acting lavishly and generously and beautifully towards an undeserving people. And while there are fleeting moments of God's people in the Hebrew Bible demonstrating and exhibiting Hased, the overall arc of the story is that Israel repeatedly responds to God's loyal love with disloyalty. God's steadfast love with fickleness. So the prophet Hosea, he denounces Israel saying this, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love, your hesed, is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Hmm. For I delight in faithfulness. Again, the same word, hesed, not simply in sacrifice. I delight in acknowledging God, not simply in whole burnt offering. Israel's problem and our problem is that while God's steadfast love is like a mountain, grand and expansive and sure, our steadfast love is like the morning dew. Here one moment and gone the next. Here for a day, gone tomorrow. This reality leads one commentator, Leon Morris. He writes this, concerning this word has said, that in men, it is the ideal and an often unrealized one, but in God, it is the actual. So just take a moment for a second. Just take a moment. I know some of you really well. Some of you I don't know at all. Take a moment and take stock of your life. Take stock of some of your most painful hurts, things that you still are marked by and shaped by, right? The parent who acted unpredictably towards you, joyful one moment and angry the next, and the friend who betrayed you, the church that treated you like a cog in a machine only to spit you out, are not our greatest hurts all rooted in the absence of loyal love. And yet, if we're doing an honest assessment, if we're still in that place, it doesn't take long before we see our glaring failure to show loyal love. Each one of us, because of sin, bent inwards. Improving in our actions that our greatest loyalty at the end of the day is to ourselves. Like I said, there are some rare exceptions in the Old Testament of Hesed, of God's people doing what they're supposed to, but really only God perfectly, unrelentingly shows Hesed in the Old Testament. And the same is true in the New. The ultimate expression of God's love, his loyal love, comes when he sends Jesus. Every part, his life, 
his resurrection, his death, his ascension, his giving of his spirit, every part of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, is rooted in the overflow of the eternal, loyal love of God. See this. The two essential components of said, right? An undeserving people and an abundantly gracious and loyal God are at the center of Jesus' ministry. They haven't changed. Look at Romans 5. How does Paul explain the gospel? He says this, right? For while we are still weak, disloyal, fickle, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love, his loyal, steadfast, faithful love for us, in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what this means. Here's what this means. It means for all who turn from their sin and acknowledge their weakness and their ungodliness and put their faith in Jesus, you are inviting for the first time chesed into your life. Loyal love into your life. And despite the betrayals and the flakiness that have defined your life up until this point, in Jesus you have a faithful Savior. In the, world, in the words of our, our family's favorite children's Bible, in Jesus we see God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You can know that love today. It means... That Yahweh's abounding hesed is truly that, unlimited, extending even to the sending of his own son to die in our place for our sin. We don't need to, like Moses, appeal to God's general character, right? We don't need to do that anymore. We can appeal to God's specific action in history in the person and work of Jesus and say, on the basis of that has said, of that loyal love, on the basis of that, on the basis of Jesus, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you pardon us? And where we want to put limits on who can receive this loyal love, Jesus says, I have come for all who would see themselves amongst the ungodly. God is full overflowing with, abounding in loyal love. But remember, God's character in the Bible is not only inspirational, it's also aspirational. What does this mean for us? And what I want us to see next is that when we receive God's faithful love, we suddenly find that we can reciprocate God's faithful love. This is our second point. The faithful love of God's people. The problem of our unfaithfulness to God is solved in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But as the New Testament makes clear, the work of Jesus and the sending of his Spirit also makes possible, miraculously, faithfulness to one another. Faithfulness in the church. Let me show you this. We can go back to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and we can read what Solomon writes there. He says this. He says, this wise man, this sage, let not steadfast love has said and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This wise person, Solomon, is saying, put on like clothing, like clothing, steadfast love, and you notice that word beside it, and faithfulness. It's this word emet. Put on hesed and emet. Get dressed in that. And often in the Bible, Hased and Amet are found together. In fact, in Exodus 34, verse 6, we read that God is abounding in steadfast love, Hased, and faithfulness, Amet. Amet communicates a complementary idea. It communicates faithfulness, or maybe more specifically, truthfulness. The person who is faithful, Amet, they do what they say they will do. They keep their word. They are not fickle, but dependable. The wise person is like God, steadfastly loving and dependable. In fact, Solomon says, they have written these qualities on the tablet of their heart. In other words, these characteristics of God are not just like ill-fitting costumes like when my kids wear my clothes. No. We become now by the Spirit in the innermost part of our being, faithful and dependable people. This happens as God sends His Spirit. And so we can go to the New Testament. We can go to the church in Corinth. And after writing a hard letter to the church in Corinth, Paul eventually writes another letter to the church in Corinth, and he commends them in regard to their changed behavior. He says, you've changed, church. You've changed in some really encouraging ways. And, and he attributes this to the Spirit working and giving God's people new, obedient, and soft hearts that are ours in Jesus. But look at the language he uses in chapter 3, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians. And you show, church, that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, your example, your witness to the world, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And see if this sounds familiar. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's saying the Spirit makes it possible to be these kinds of people. And what I'm saying this morning is that we need to be these kinds of people. If so far in this sermon we've been up here, we've, it's like an airplane, we've been up here at 30,000 feet, like observing and soaking in and wondering at glorious and grand and lofty theological truths, we're beginning our descent now. And, and, and like every time a descent begins, there's going to be some turbulence. We're going to get uncomfortably granular this morning, hence the meme at the start. Because I think if we as a church get this, if we see that we're supposed to be like this, I think it's a game changer. I want to ask two questions this morning. Two questions. One long one and one short one. First long one is this. What does this faithful look like among God's people? And then second, what happens to our mission if we don't do this? If we miss this? So first question. What does this faithful love look like among God's people? If God's character is not just inspirational but also aspirational, what does this look like for us as a church? Well, let me say this. Fickleness, as we've seen, is not only a mark of the people out there, but it's also a mark of the people in here. And all that I've said so far about God's character, if all that I've said so far about his character 
and what God requires of his people, and indeed what God has empowered his people to do by his spirit, if all that I've said so far is true, then our fickleness as a church is no small thing, no just like area of growth, but our fickleness actually serves to undermine the gospel itself. What does this look like in the church? Let's get more granular. Let's continue that descent. It looks like, as alluded to by Alan Noble in the beginning, understanding the church as a place of self-actualization. It looks like us coming on Sunday into community group and to our events and viewing the church as a place of consuming religious goods and services. Right? Which, by the way, is why many self-professing Christians are content to engage with quote-unquote church online, which is really not church at all. In this view, the church exists not as a place where I covenant to suffer and strive alongside other saints who still sin, but the church is a place for me to feel something. The church is a place for self-improvement. The church is, is for me to find a place where I can find people who I naturally get along with. Like, you like basketball, I like basketball, maybe we can be friends. In this view of the church, terms like church shopping and the practice of bouncing between church year after year after year makes total sense if this is what the church is. Of course, when we fail to show up on Sunday morning, or to community group, we don't tell anyone because it wasn't about them anyways. It's about me. What I get. And this attitude sets us up terribly for the times when not only are we not getting quote-unquote fed in the ways we think, but when people actually sin against us. Because that will happen in the church. And just so you have like a very clear picture about who we are. We love Jesus. We want to be about the gospel. But that will happen in this church where people will sin against you. But what if the church was not about you? What if the church was actually a place where the steadfast has said love of God, the dependability of God, the amet of God was actually practiced among its members? Remember when Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13, and we heard Cam read that this morning, which by the way, like you've heard that at a, at a wedding before, it's not really about marriage, it's, it's kind of about marriage, but only like secondarily about marriage, it's first about the church. When, when Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about our relationship to one another when he writes, when he says, love is patient and kind. I want you to just look around, don't look at me for a second, L look around. Look at the people in front of you and behind you. Take a survey of this room. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Ugh. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. The church together believes all things. The church hopes all things in one another, endures all things. Does that not sound like said and amet to you? Steadfast love and dependability. So here's some really quick, like rapid fire 
application. Ready? Some of you need to double down here. And you've been coming for a bit, and that's great. And we're glad to have you. If you're new, welcome. But some of you need to double down here and get off of the sideline and into the game. Further, some of you need to go back to the church that you left. And some of you need to stay, but maybe need to apologize to a bunch of people whom you did not show 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love to. In this life, we will fail time and time again. I will fail time and time again to show said and amet. And it's only in the context of the church that this sin and others can be confessed and repented of and forgiveness found in Jesus. Because the reality is, is that conflict is inevitable in a community of saints who still sin. It's inevitable amongst the people who are struggling to live out the often countercultural commands of God. One author, Jenny Allen, she put it like this, and we must keep it in mind. Conflict then is only safe when you know you won't quit on each other. So no one's going to say a hard word to each other if we're always worried they're going to leave. It won't happen. Conflict is only safe in the context of faithfulness. My wife can only bring to me the things I've said and done that hurt her if she's confident that I'm not going to bail at the first smell of criticism. Often as a pastor, if I'm hesitating to lovingly call someone out on their sin, it's because I'm afraid that they'll leave. Conflict is only safe in the context of faithfulness. For the church to be the church, we need God's Spirit to write faithfulness and dependability deep on our hearts. But church, be reminded, we partner with God's Spirit. We partner with God's Spirit in the very practical, often small, seemingly insignificant things that we do. Things like this. Ready? Showing up on a Sunday. Prioritizing the Sunday morning gathering. By planning our vacations around Sunday and not Sunday around our vacations. We do this by saying yes and then doing that thing. Why are you doing it? Because I said I would do it. Dependably showing up to community group, dependably giving sacrificially, dependably seeking out those on the fringe. We do this at great personal cost by remaining as a loving and faithful presence in a city that doesn't love you back. Hesed has nothing to do with the worthiness of the one being loved. Nothing to do with it. We show faithful love to our city, to our neighborhood, not because it deserves it, not because it's loved us, not because it's made our life so comfortable. In fact, it's probably done the opposite. But because it's who we now are in Christ. Jesus shows us that the cost of Hesed and Emet is everything. It will cost us our lives. But when we follow Jesus in this way, empowered by his spirit, the result, like a seed that goes into the ground and then turns into a tree, is flourishing. It's flourishing, both for us and for our communities. And so here's the second and last question 
What happens to our mission if we don't do this? Short answer, a church devoid of Hesed and Emet should pack up and go. A church more interested in just sort of having a feel-good moment on Sunday with, with a pastor who likes you know, people listening to him, right? Who, so they can feel good about themselves about doing something in this world, but are not committed faithfully to loving and serving difficult and hurting and broken people should pack up and go. Because if we aren't those people, we undermine the very gospel we say with our mouth, don't we? Now Jesus says in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Why? Because it's nice? This is nice. No, he says, by this, your mutual love for one another. By this, this, this that thing happening, your, your faithfulness and a met in the context of the church. By this, you will know, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when the church becomes this place of faithful and dependable love, where we can have conflict, knowing that we're deeply committed to each other's good and flourishing, where we can bear each other's burdens and celebrate with one another, that kind of place in a community over a period of time is hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. When these faithful and dependable communities serve their neighborhoods for years and then decades and then, Lord willing, centuries, that's when real change happens. So let's be really just frank for a second, if I haven't been frank thus far. We're not here for us. And I'm not here really for you. We are here for the generations to come. We are here for the kids that are downstairs right now. And for their kids who will grow up in this neighborhood and in this church. We are here so that decades from now, Lord willing, centuries from now, there is a faithful gospel presence in East Vancouver because churches in this neighborhood demonstrated and exhibited the very character and heart of God in faithfulness and dependability. Do we have that kind of vision? Do we have that kind of heart? So what will we choose this morning, Christ City? Faithfulness or fickleness? Will we lay down our lives? Will we lay down even our preferences? That we might seek a work of God in hasting sunrise. Let's pray. Father, help us to see you. And help us to see you specifically in relation to our own salvation. That though we were unfaithful, you were faithful. And though we could not be counted upon, you could and you were. Father, help us to see your son Jesus this morning. Our faithful and loving, dependable Savior. Lord, I pray for the person here this morning who doesn't know you who's been hurt by the absence of Hased and Amet in their life, Lord, that you would encounter them empowered by your Spirit, that you draw them to your Son, Jesus, and that they would find for the first time in their life the rock upon which to build everything they do. That they would turn to Christ and believe in Christ. Father, would you help us to be 
as a church in this neighborhood, a faithful and dependable people for generations to come? Would you lead those kids downstairs to saving faith in you? Would they then go as laborers into the harvest, and would they lead many in this neighborhood to come to know you and believe in you? Lord, we want to be all about what you're all about. So where we're scared and where we're apprehensive, Lord, would we step out in courage? Would we step out in faith? Knowing that because of the work of your son Jesus, your love will never leave us, your love will never forsake us, and will always go with us. Uh, we receive your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, help us now as we respond and fill us with your spirit. Amen.